Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Homes on Homes podcast, where we talk about everything from sports to knitting, politics to cooking. I'm your host, Michael Holmes. Our topic for today is how can we prevent Canada in 2050 from becoming a dystopian country? We will have a few guests today on the show. Our first guest on the show is Parker Jones. Parker is a refugee of Panem, and he's going to be talking about the horrible day-to-day life that occurred under President Cornelius Snow. Hello? Parker, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. I'm really excited to be on the show today. Well, we're glad to have you here. Uh, you're a refugee from Panem, correct? That's correct, Michael. I spent the last 33 years living in Panem and the last 20 under the horrible ruling of Cornelius Snow. That sounds like quite the struggle. Could you tell me a little bit about Cornelius Snow? Oh, he was horrible. He controlled everything in Panem. There was a daily schedule that was put in place by him about 10 years ago. And if you didn't follow the schedule, you're, you're tortured and sent to prison. It's almost rumored that if you talk bad about President Snow and Panem, you disappear without a trace. I assume that people taken are killed, but we will never know. It happened to my sister's husband last year. Great guy. He was at a party talking about life, and all he said was that he didn't like Snow's hair. Nobody has seen him after that party. My sister says he was there when they went to bed, but when she awoke, he was gone. He was presumed dead, and my relatives still in Panem don't talk about him at all. While I was still in Panem, I lived in the constant fear that if I misspoke and said something bad about Snow, then I would be killed. I also was scared to be even one minute late to something on the schedule, as I didn't want anything bad to happen to me or my family. Man, that seems absolutely terrible. What did, Pre- what did Snow do that made it so that everyone in Panem was so scared of what he could do? I think the main way that President Snow made the population of Panem scared of him was by having such heinous punishments and crimes that anything rumored to be a punishment was believed as a fact. For example, it was rumored that if you ate ice cream on a Sunday, then you would be tortured beyond recognition. And so nobody ever ate ice cream on a Sunday because of the fear for being tortured. Uh, he is also notorious for the monthly executions of inner party members that supposedly went against his ideas. For that, they were publicly killed giving the citizens of Panem a reason to be scared. There's also the fact that whenever someone rebelled against something he created, like the daily schedule, for example, you'd witness firsthand people being brutally arrested in front of everybody and dragged away to wherever they're taken. Anybody who refuses to conform gets taken away as well. Uh, So you are forced into the state of fear where if you look the wrong way while one of these things are happening, then you might be arrested as well. As someone outside looking in at Panem, we understood that it was bad there, but we didn't know it was quite that bad. So I ask you, why is it that people still follow President Snow and keep him in power there if he's such a bad guy? For people that actually like President Snow, it's because that they have had this fake persona of Snow painted in their mind by people of the inner party. They painted this picture through fictitious stories and exaggerated good deeds. And when people that are easily manipulated hear all of these positive actions, it can create an almost godlike aspect where President Snow seems like the best person in the world. 
Thank you so much, Parker. It's been a blast having you on the show and with you sharing all your all your all your experiences in Panem and everything you know about their leader there, Cornelius Snow. Uh, thanks, Michael. I uh, had a great time talking about my experiences, experiences, and uh, have a good night, man. Thanks, you too. Moving on from what Parker has just said, we're moving into our next issue. The issue surrounding surveillance and how the government is constantly trying to control how we act. So I was reading the news lately, and I stumbled upon this article on the Canadian NBC website called China's Chilling Social Credit System is straight out of dystopian sci-fi, and it's already switched on. This article was written by Peter Dockrill, and it talks about the fact that China has a program in place that's set to start operation in 2020 where they're installing 200 million CCTV cameras across the country to watch citizens so that they have a constant eye on how everyone is acting and what they are doing. These citizens that are deemed trustworthy are granted benefits that make their day-to-day life easier, while citizens that are deemed untrustworthy are forced to pay a higher premium on basic necessities or aren't granted access to them at all. Situations and policies like the one right now that's happening in China can quickly lead to an easier way for governments to keep track of your every single move. With all the... With all the advancements in technologies that our society is currently enduring, it won't be long before cameras can create better quality images, have facial recognition, as well as body scanning, so the government will have access to where you are, who you are, whenever they feel. On top of that, as our technology continues to expand, the cameras are going to start to be made drastically smaller, which will lead to them being hidden in places where you wouldn't expect to see them because they now fit in those areas. So with these cameras hidden everywhere, you will be constantly worrying about if a camera is there that might overhear you or see what you are doing for whatever reason. And while this will help, will drastically help with the, the crime situation as everything will be caught on camera, it would also leave us feel like we're, li- we're fish living in a fishbowl, where we're constantly being watched no matter what we do from every angle, no matter where we are. On top of that, as I'm sure you all have a phone in your pocket, as this phone continues to evolve, it opens up a whole new way for governments and agencies to keep an eye on you. Your phone is filled with lots of valuable information that with the right technology, anyone can access from anywhere. This adds another way for the government to know who you're talking to, what you're searching, what you're planning, as well as information on your friends and family. They could have information to where and when you will be at a certain place just from looking in your calendar. They also will have the ability to see who, where you are and what you're looking at through the camera that is on most smartphones these days. With this information that they access through your phone, the government levels of surveillance will be greater since will be greatly increased since they can access more aspects of your day-to-day life. They will have the ability to know where and what you are going to be doing at any point in time. To prevent this from happening in the future, I think we should try to cut back on the development of technology so that doesn't get to the point where the level of surveillance becomes possible. Because we 
don't want it to be I'm sh- I'm sure you don't want to have it to the point where you feel like you can't go anywhere without being watched or overheard by someone running your country where they can spy on you or track you or whatnot. Our next guest, Olivia Kaminga, is now on the line and she will be talking about the different forms of governments and the pros and cons to them. Olivia, can you hear me? Oh, yep, loud and clear. Amazing. So I hear that you're a researcher at the University of Waterloo. Could you tell me a little bit about what you do? Yeah, so I'm a researcher at Waterloo, like you mentioned, and I'm majoring in uh, poli-sci, or political science. And I like to especially study the effects of certain government types and how that can affect a citizen's individual life. Wow, that sounds really amazing. Um, we now have some questions sent in from the viewers and some of my own questions, if you would, mi- wouldn't mind answering them. Uh, you ready to start? Always. Okay. So the first question is sent in from Twitter user at Political Fanatic. And the question is, with the recent revolt in Panem, do you think we will see an end to these types of governments? So I think that no matter what happens, there will always be corrupt people who will try and take control. So this will certainly not be the last time that any sort of dictatorship or authoritarian-like government will try and take control. However, I think for those who have experienced this kind of turmoil, I think we'll see a huge cultural shift and people will really begin to value um, democracy and diplomacy and having their voice heard. So though, you know, A hundred years down the line, of course, we'll have another dictator. But I think definitely for those who have lived through this or who have family or friends who have lived through this, it'll definitely be a learning curve. That sounds really interesting. Now, another question from Twitter user FerrisBueller14 is, could a government drastically change our society? Well, I think the answer to that is obvious because the government does have control over certain legal things. They do have influence via um, propaganda, especially propaganda and media. So I think a a government has the power to control a society. However, I think that a good democratic uh, government doesn't control the society, but rather the people and their opinions help control and persuade the government. So a perfect government should be a representative of its people as opposed to, you know, the government trying to change the people to fit that mold. So what I get is that you're saying an undemocratic government is more likely to have a drastic change on our society than a democratic one. Yeah, I I think it's... Frankly, I think it's quite unethical if a government does have too much control over what a society is doing because ultimately as humans, you know, we value our liberty. We should value our liberty and things like privacy. So with democratic governments, they're traditionally less likely to be as uh, forceful or assertive in our social lives or economically. However, obviously obviously they do have control over legal matters. Okay, that's that's good to know. The next question... Um, is which, which government would you say is the most effective when it comes to having a government that is more for the people as opposed to for themselves? So what, which government style is most ethical or selfless? Uh, yeah, yeah, along that lines, yeah. So I would say definitely when we look at democratic societies, those should be an ideal example of what it looks like for a government to be caring about the opinions and values of its people. Um, That's what it should look like. Is that what it always looks like? Not always, because we do have examples of elected leaders who maybe aren't representing 
a very, very large portion, if not the majority of the people. However, traditionally speaking, if you're going off definition, by far the most effective in terms of, you know, being selfless and promoting what the people want would be democratic because it's a system that is designed to hear from the people and be for the people. So it's a good thing that Canada's a democracy then. Yes, 100% a good thing. Okay, so moving on from that, which government would you say is the least effective when it comes to keeping citizens... Protected? Yeah, protected. That's the word I'm looking for there. Um, well, I think, I think there are very, any government style or government type, so to speak, can be negative or have negative repercussions mm-hmm. for the people. It depends on, you know, what you consider to be super negative. Yeah. So that. obviously when you have like a dictatorship or, you know, it, like extremes like totalitarianism, Obviously, those aren't going to be good for the people because it's limiting their liberty. It's limiting their uh, ability to express themselves. However, there can be evil on on every spectrum. You know, there will always be corrupt people who try and get to power, like we discussed before. Uh-huh. So I think that, yeah, obviously, government styles like dictatorship or totalitarianism or authoritarianism can be especially toxic. However, it is not exclusive to those types in order for um, there to be negative repercussions on the citizens. So now, what would you kind of say, as, as someone in political science, what would you say as a recommendation for people that may be too young to vote now, but in future years, so that something like what happened in Panama with their uh, president there, which took over, elected democratically, but has since kind of formed more into a dictatorship, how could they prevent something that, like that from happening here in Canada? I think very simply, it's you need to be active in your community. I think you need to be aware of what is happening in your country, and I, need, I think you need to look past the biases that media oftentimes presents and that we, we fall prey to. So I think it's really important that you stay informed, and when you're given opportunities like the chance to vote, that you jump on those opportunities, whether or not you believe you know there might be some corruption going on there. It is up to the individual and it is up to society in order to take as much liberty as they are given and turn that into something amazing. So staying active, voting if you can, um, not settling for things how they are, being critical of the world around you, protesting. Those are all examples of ways that you know you can prevent um, authoritarian government styles or dictatorships from emerging from what was once a democratic society. Okay, well, I think... As our time comes on, we've got to move on to our wrap up this as our time with the podcast is almost up. Um, just, I want to thank you first off for coming on the show and helping us out here. Um, I'd hope that if we ever have another talk about pol- politics or whatnot, I hope you would love to come back on the show and talk again. Would that be okay with you? I think that would be lovely. No, thank you for having me. Okay, no, it's been good. It's good, productive, and informative for our viewers, hopefully. So, so with that, we say goodbye to Olivia here. As our time this week draws to a close, I hope you can now understand why I think that we should try to avoid having Canada become a dystopia in the future of 2050. I hope this was informative, and I hope you are now thinking, how can I personally help keep Canada a democracy that it is today and not allow it to become a dystopia in the future of 2050? I would like to thank our wonderful guests again for appearing on the show today.
Don't forget to tune in next week to the Homes on Homes podcast for everything you need to know about water polo. If you have any topics you'd like me to talk about in a future episode, you can contact me at Twitter at my Twitter handle, which is HHP, or you can use the hashtag, hashtag Homes on Homes topics to get your topic in a future episode. As always, I'm your host, Michael Holmes, and this was the Homes on Homes podcast. Catch you later. And I hope you are now thinking, how can I personally help keep Canada a democracy that it is today and not change into a form of dystopia? I would like to thank our wonderful guests again for appearing on the show today. Don't forget to tune in next week to the Homes on Homes podcast for everything you need to know about water polo. If you have any topics you'd like me to talk about in a future episode, you can contact me at Twitter at my Twitter handle, which is HHP, or you can use the hashtag, hashtag Homes on Homes topics to get your topic in a future episode. As always, I'm your host, Michael Holmes, and this was the Homes on Homes podcast. Catch you later.